teaches the Word of God. I know you get tired hearing that in these broadcasts, and it begins to sound like a cliché after these many months. But after all, one must remember this broadcast is designed primarily for students and teachers of the Word of God. Many times they get a kickback or some static from people who resent deeply the material given here. We must remember these people are not students of the Bible, nor are they teachers of the Bible. This broadcast represents a minority group. The people who believe the Bible is the Word of God and are entrusted with teaching it and studying to show themselves approved unto God, workmen yet not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And because of that, you'll hear something in this broadcast perhaps that may be rather shocking from time to time. But then again, if you're a majority who goes along with the crowd, you should have a little bit of tolerance, be a little bit more broad-minded than some of you are. And remember that the smallest uh, minority in America today are the Bible-believing teachers and preachers of the Word of God. I didn't say those who profess to believe it. I said those who believe it. We have a remarkable profession these days that mean absolutely nothing. And this theological seminar is for the people who believe the Bible is the Word of God and are entrusted with studying it and teaching it to others. And as a thank God in America, where we still have a few rights left, although not too many, minority groups are still granted some amount of privilege. And we thank God for the, uh, the liberty we have in America. And we thank God for the liberality of this station, allowing a broadcast like this to be broadcast, which is definitely for a minority group, the teachers and students of the Word of God. And as I said before, uh, modern America talks a great deal about the Bible, but uh, the Bible ignorance in America today is simply appalling. I can uh, monitor across the radio dial and find at least 20 broadcasts a day that profess to be Bible studies, and the entire time is taken up with jazz music and uh, rock music and announcements and somebody fishing for an offering. This isn't Bible study. Bible study is not getting on the air and talking about, oh, bless God, glory to God, uh, what a wonderful experience we're having, and it's exciting here. We're having fun worshiping the Lord, and we hope all you good, fine, wonderful people out. That isn't Bible study. That's what we call politicking. It has nothing to do with studying the Bible at all. So this broadcast is a theological seminar for those who are interested in studying the Word of God and learning it, and those entrusted with teaching it. In our lesson today, we are discussing the matter of faith, a very important subject, and a subject that had been done to death by uh, various groups in America today in their efforts to get you to give them money. Faith is fundamental to Christian creeds and conduct, for we are, grave, we are saved by faith, we're kept by faith, the power of God unto salvation, and we're to walk not by sight, but by faith, Ephesians chapter 2, 8. Uh, in dealing with faith, Daniel manifested a daring faith in the book of Daniel, and faith is so prominent in the Old Testament that a whole list of Old Testament saints is given in Hebrews chapter 11, where we are told by faith they did this, and by faith they did that, and by faith they did so forth and so on. Faith is confidence in God that leads us to believe his word, the Bible. You can have uh, a misplaced faith. Uh, some people have the, uh, the facts of salvation without the faith in it. Some people have the faith in the salvation without any feeling. Some people have the feeling without the faith, and some people have feeling without fact. The Bible deals with fact, faith, and feeling. Faith is not fact. If your faith is placed in things that are not facts, you're deceived by Satan. To have merely faith in your feeling, or faith in what you believe, or faith in what you hope for, is satanic. The faith must be placed in facts. 
Now, does the fact that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day from the dead according to the Scriptures, that's a fact. Now, whether you have faith in that is immaterial. The point is, it's so. That's the point. In other words, if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll be safe whether you know it or not. That's the feeling. Now, the modern charismatic is always confounding faith, fact, and feeling. Very often his faith and place in things that aren't facts, such as his faith is placed in the fact that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, when the past in which that occurs has no reference to healing within 35 verses in any direction. That's a misplaced faith. Sometimes he's going by feeling when he thinks it's faith and it's nothing but feeling like something's going to happen when it isn't. Sometimes he's only dealing with the bare facts and not believing the facts. For example, it's the fact that if you receive Jesus Christ your Savior, you're born again and have eternal life and are in Jesus Christ. However, if you have misplaced faith in something else, you can believe that you fall in and out of Christ regularly and become born again, unborn again, and then reborn again and again and again. So the people who are what we call Christian nuts, that is, those who are on neurotic kicks and psychotic kicks in Christianity, cannot distinguish between fact, faith, and feeling. The facts are recorded in the Bible. The faith is believing what God said in the Bible as he said it where he said it without taking it out of the context, and feeling is the satisfaction you get from living for the Lord and obeying him. Don't ever get him confused. Faith. Faith is belief, trust, fidelity, or loyalty to a creed of religion, according to the dictionary. But according to the Bible, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our definition of faith is found in the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith can be illustrated very easily. We relax and without looking, we place our whole weight on a chair. Faith tells us will not fall. You believe a chair holds you up, you sit down in it. You prove you have faith in it by the fact that you sit in it. You're counting on it holding you up. Now, to exercise faith in the gospel means that from the moment you trust Jesus Christ, you never trust your own righteousness again for five seconds. You trust his. To do what? To hold you up. Now, there we have the substance of it. Where a man is trusting his own righteousness, he has not exercised faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is not going back to 2.38 to prove that you're good enough to earn salvation by works. Faith in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with taking a passage aimed at Israel, Acts 2.38, and pretending it belongs to you. That's not faith. That's what we call infidelity, or resting the Scriptures to your own destruction. Faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is simple enough for the child to fulfill, but too sublime for the widest man to comprehend or explain satisfactorily. That is, every child every day in his life exercises faith. A child gets up in the morning and believes it's going to get fed. It might not. He believes he will. A child by nature believes mom and daddy will take care of him. They may not, but by faith he believes they will and expects it and looks forward to it and expects it. Now, that's faith. The Bible speaks about faith as a grain of mustard seed and having faith as a little child. You exercise faith when you go out to your car and get in there and turn the ignition on. You think it'll start. Why, if you didn't think that, you wouldn't have turned the key. You see what I mean? 
Faith is acting on what you believe. And in the case of believing on Christ, faith is acting on what God said and taking Jesus Christ as your Savior, taking him by an act of faith and trusting his shed blood for the remission of your sins and trusting nothing else. As the songwriter said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground, even scriptural alibis, all of the ground is sinking sand. Faith is not the blind act of the soul. Faith in God rests upon the best of evidence, the infallible word of the living God, which faculty members of modern schools don't have a copy of, unfortunately. If you write to the faculty member of the nearest Christian school to you, you will find he has no copy of the infallible Word of God. And yet faith rests upon the evidence, and the evidence is the infallible Word of God. Unfortunately, our modern faculty members don't have a copy. They believe the ancient mythological superstition that the infallible Word of God was the original manuscripts that are lost. Therefore, they have nothing to rest their faith upon, even though they kid themselves in thinking they do. Faith is trust in the God of the Scriptures and in Jesus Christ whom he hath sent. This faith receives him as Savior and Lord and impels loving obedience and good works not to get saved, but because he is saved. No Christian works to get saved. No Christian works to stay saved. A Christian works because he is saved. The faith that saves is a personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that abandons works. Romans 5, 4, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith, that kind of faith, is counted for righteousness. Now, the contrary to this is James 2. So every unsaved preacher in your time will quote James 2 in rebuttal. There is an unsaved minister in America that isn't trusting on getting to heaven by his works, according to James 2, instead of by faith, Romans 5. And if you want to know the difference between saved ministers and lost ministers, that's the difference. The unsaved man can't receive the thing of the Spirit of God. They're foolish as unto him. Neither can he know them. So he always picks the wrong place in the Bible to damn your soul with because he's fixed his own soul with it. Now, you ought to be able to understand that. The unsaved man will go to James 2 every time to disprove what I just quoted from Romans 5, 4, because James is written to the twelve tribes of Israel. And that's why he goes there. Because he can't understand the Scriptures or get them straight. Now, the necessity of faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, we read, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is, there can be no dealings with the invisible God without faith in his existence. Along these lines, the atheist is at a helpless and hopeless disadvantage. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And a man can't find God or deal with God unless he believes he's there. And if you don't believe he's there, you're wasting your time and his time. The Bible says, if a man come to God and ask for wisdom, God will give it. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. The atheist uh, has no hope of finding out information about God at all because he begins with a false presumption, then the false assumption based entirely upon depraved hallucination that God couldn't be there. 
Once you begin with that false assumption, you're out of the race. If you begin with a phony assumption he's not there, then you can't deal with him, and he isn't going to bother to deal with you. That's why a dishonest skeptic can never find God or find information about God. He begins with a false premise. If the premise is false, the conclusion is false. That's a syllogism that goes without uh, saying. You don't have to prove that one. If the premise is false, the conclusion is false. All right, we must believe that God exists, that he rewards men, and this confidence is called faith. Faith is absolutely necessary to salvation. You're told by grace, how you say, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God gives every man enough faith to believe in Jesus Christ. God gives every man enough faith to believe that he exists. If you don't believe God exists, you have rejected what God put in you and gave you. Because even the faith is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, there are two kinds of faith in the Bible mentioned in regards to salvation. The first will be called a head belief, a knowledge of the historical Christ and a general acceptance of the Bible. This is the most common faith in America today. It is manifest by the man teaching plans of salvation from Acts 2.38, which have nothing to do with New Testament salvation in the sense of the grace of God and the gospel of Christ and faith. We have this head belief for the unsaved man comes to the Bible and tries to find a plan of salvation and set him up a little format there of repentance, belief, confession, and faith, and then he goes to hell and takes his congregation with him because he never believed from the heart to start with. Paul, when he talks about obeying the form of doctrine delivered unto you, he said obeyed from the heart, not the head. So we have head belief, which is a, an insufficient faith, and heart belief, faith from the heart that caused the person to receive Jesus Christ. In chapter Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe on him. Not just believe in him. A sick man can believe in the medicine, but if he doesn't believe on it, he won't take it. Let's put it this way. You're due for an operation. You believe a certain doctor has consummate skill. You have the utmost faith and believes in integrity, and you believe he can get you safely to the operation. You've already has a reputation for doing a great work, and you believe he's a skilled surgeon and can accomplish the purpose. Question, will you let him operate on you? Now, that's the difference. You can believe all things about letting Christ come into your life and all this modern nonsense we hear and never know Jesus Christ or have him in your body. The devil has Christ in his life. I'll guarantee the devil has more Jesus Christ in his life than he cares to have. And I'll guarantee you Christ entered Pontius Pilate's life and entered Judas's life and entered a lot of people's lives that went to hell after they died. We have a modern nomenclature where Jesus Christ doesn't come into your body. He comes into your life. Well, friend, he's in all the life in this earth because he's the author of life. The unsaved man moves in God and has his being in God. That doesn't mean he is saved. So we see the difference between the modern deism that goes on in America under this sort of uh, peace and love claptrap we hear, and belief in Jesus Christ, which places the sinner into Christ and places Jesus Christ into the sinner. You must base your faith on Christ and not your faith on your faith. That is, there are people who are counting on their faith to get into heaven. And when you speak against their faith, they almost have a heart attack because they're not counting on Christ's blood atonement. They're counting on their faith. And that's why they get up so upset when you talk about anybody's faith. 
They're counting on their faith to save them. Your faith can save you. You're saved by Jesus Christ, or you're not saved. True faith in Jesus Christ is believing to the extent of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, not getting baptized. John 1.12 says, As many as received him that then he gave power to become the sons of God, and the new birth is conditioned upon receiving Jesus Christ. There is no place in the Bible anywhere where water baptism is ever connected with the new birth. You will notice in John chapter 3 that water baptism is mentioned nowhere in the immediate or far context of the birth by water and the Spirit. There is no baptism within ten verses of the verse in either direction. Salvation, the new birth, is never connected with water baptism in either testament. There is no water baptism in Galatians chapter 3. There is no water baptism in Romans chapter 6. And the term new birth does not occur in Mark 16. The new birth or regeneration is conditioned upon receiving Jesus Christ, not water baptism. Now, neither knowledge nor assent is true faith. True faith involves appropriation. Faith is the soul leaping forth to embrace Jesus Christ in whom the soul believes. Now, what are the sources of faith? Well, from the divine side, faith is the work of God. God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, Romans 12, 3. Every man, therefore, has the inward potential of faith. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, we read that faith is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So some have more faith than others, for faith is one of the gifts. We look uh, at the passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and we thought, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Luke 17, 5, the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. We all have faith, but we exercise it, and as we exercise it and use it, it grows and increases. God the Holy Spirit said in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and faith. Now from the human side, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10.17. So if you don't have the Word of God, you cannot get faith. Have you got a copy? As you listen to God's Word preached and taught and hear the Bible taught, our faith grows stronger. In Acts 4.4, the Bible said the people heard the Word of God, and they believed. They had faith. In Mark 9, 4, a man said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. The disciples prayed, increase our faith, Luke 17, 5. Now, the object of faith is, first of all, the Word of God. Faith must never be faith in a nebulous thing called faith. And as I said before, the modern Christian has never learned the difference between fact, faith, and feeling. For example, there people have faith in Acts 2.38, get him into heaven, and nobody in this dispensation receives the Holy Spirit by being baptized in water, Galatians chapter 4. The Holy Spirit in this age is given by faith. The promise of the Spirit might be given by faith to the Gentiles, not by Acts 2.38. So here is a misplaced faith. Here is somebody who is counting on a Jewish passage given to Old Testament Jews under the law by a Jewish apostle at Pentecost, before the gospel, the grace of God is revealed, and they're counting on this water baptism to get them the Holy Ghost and get them tongues because they have rejected the facts. The facts are there are no Christians in Acts chapter 2. The term Christian occurs nowhere in your Bible till Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Now, don't take my word for it. That'd be the worst error you could make. Open your Bible and read it. You couldn't find a Christian in Acts chapter 2 with a flashlight. 
There isn't one man in Acts chapter 2 that isn't a circumcised, bearded, Sabbath-observing, temple-worshipping, pork-abstaining Jew or proselyte to Judaism. And nobody in the entire chapter says what must I do to be saved, and nobody tells them. Now, if you don't believe it, read it. I know some of you people have heard that preach of the plan of salvation for 20 years, which goes to prove there's a sucker born every minute. Open Acts chapter 2 and see if you can find a Christian anywhere in that chapter or anybody asking what to do to get saved. It's not even in the chapter. And at the time Peter preaches these things, the gospel of the grace of God has not even been revealed to the apostle of the Gentiles, the apostle Paul. Faith must never be faith in a nebulous thing. It must be faith in the facts. It must be faith in the Word of God. Faith accepts the statements of the Bible as the revealed Word of God, as the very Word of God, true and genuine, unless, of course, you believe it's only the original manuscripts, and in that case, you have nothing in your hand anyway you can count on. Faith accepts the Bible as the very Word of God, true and genuine. Make sure you have a copy of it. The object of faith is the Word of God, firstly, and the person of Christ, secondly. Faith in itself is not a Savior. Your faith cannot save you. The Savior saves you. It is faith in a person, not a thing. The divine person called the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, then, is not a meritorious thing by itself, and faith as it stands alone without faith in the facts of the person of Christ can save nobody. This is the dead faith that James speak of, speaks of, when he says, can faith save a man? No, not just faith. It has to be faith in the facts. And the facts are the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose from the dead, and that isn't preached in Acts chapter 2. There isn't one mention of Christ dying for anybody's sins anywhere in Acts chapter 2. The gospel, the grace of God, is that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6. Read it. And that by receiving him by faith, God will grant you the new birth, John 1, 12, which is never connected with water baptism in either testament. Any other faith is faith in an hallucination. The faith has to be in the facts. And the feeling is the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. Now, the principle of faith is the same as that which we act on in everyday life. We go to the wall there and flip a switch and expect the light to turn on. All business is carried on by the principle of faith, especially farming, where the farmer plants by faith, not knowing the weather, and expects a crop. The taxi driver doesn't ask to see your money first. He believes that you're going to pay, and you get in and you pay at the end of the route. He hopes. Faith in God is putting confidence in him and his word. It is resting on the testimony of what God said, as he said it, in the context in which he said it. It is not believing that the whole Bible is for everybody indiscriminately and stealing promises that don't belong to you and ramming them down your own throat when you don't have enough credulity to believe them or ramming it down somebody else's throat for whom it was not intended. Now, what are the results of faith? Well, we're saved by faith. Genesis 15, 6 and Romans 4, 3. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, John 1, 12. We're justified by faith, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We become children of God by faith, Galatians 3, 26. We're sanctified by faith, Acts 26, 18. We're kept by faith, 1 Peter 1, 5. And it brings us rest, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. And works has nothing to do with any of it. 
You're not saved by works. You don't receive Christ by works. You're not justified by works. You don't become a child of God by works. You're not sanctified by works. You're not kept by works. And works will not bring you rest. Abraham believed in the Lord, and it counted him for righteousness. Even them that believe on his name. Therefore, being justified by faith, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, which are sanctified by faith, who are kept for the power of God through faith, for we which do have do believe enter into rest. Your eternal destiny, then, my friend, is determined by your faith or your lack of it in the truth. You can be saved by faith and spend eternity in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, and by misplacing your faith or pretending you have faith or making up faith you don't have, or placing your faith in the combobulated, bamboozled, bungled-up twisting of the Word of God, you can die in your sins and go to hell. You better make certain your faith is rooted in Romans 5 and not James 2, because James was written to the twelve tribes of Israel, and you couldn't pick a worse past to go to hell on if you looked all the way through the Bible. You'd better believe what God said as he said it in the context in which he tended it, noting what he said, how he said it, where he said it, and to whom he said it. And if you're not that zealous for the truth, you're not looking for the truth. Well, these dumb Americans today, they think you could just pick up the truth anywhere and make and adjust it to what you think it ought to say. You're not going to find the truth of that kind of a slipshod way of approaching things in that, in that uh, theological mishmash that you pick by grabbing something from 20 different religions and making it line up with what you feel. That has nothing to do with the truth. That has nothing to do with fact. It has nothing to do with saving faith. Saving faith is believing what God said as he said it, where he said it, to whom he said it. You say, I can't go along with you, Ruckman. All right, then ship out. The wisest man in the Bible said, if you want truth, you're going to have to search for as hid treasure. Truth isn't easy to find these days. And when folks find it, they get rid of it quick. You're not living in an honest nation. Who are you trying to kid? You mean to tell me a nation that majors in commercial advertising is an honest nation that will tell the truth? Are you trying to be funny? You're not going to find the truth just turning on a radio and turning it off. You're going to have to pick up your Bible and open that thing up and study to show yourself approved unto God. And if you don't, then don't waste the Lord's time or my time or your time. Jesus attributes a kind of omnipotence to faith. The disciple by faith will do greater things than his master someday. And pray the word we give in sermons, Sunday school lessons, and on the radio and in conversation will be mixed with faith in the part of those that hear. Ask God to give them faith. The great question for the Christian answer is not, what can I do, but what can I believe that God said that is so? May we all pray, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. All right, this finishes our lesson today on, on the faith, and next week at the same time we'll bring the theological lesson on repentance, one of the great doctrines of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Until then, may the Lord bless you, and good day.